Hey there. Welcome to Kim Off is a Fan and my interview with Christine Lakin. Christine is an actor, director, producer, writer, podcaster, choreographer, everything. Just everything. You know her as Al from Step by Step. She was also in The Hottie and the Naughty, The Game Plan, The League, Veronica Mars, Melissa and Joey, Hollywood Darlings, and she's directed things like High School Musical, The Musical, The Series, as well as a bunch of episodes of The Goldbergs, and of course, Interracial Couple in a Cheerios commercial, which is a short that she directed with my good friend Chloe as the DP. I was so excited about this interview because Christine and I have like a bunch of friends in common, but in different friend groups, it's actually kind of weird, but she and I have not ever had a chance to really sit down and talk one-on-one like this. And I had a million questions just about her career, how she manages to do everything. Um, I wanted to talk podcasts with her. I wanted to talk directing with her. Um, I wanted to talk about the Cheerios short, everything. So we covered it all. Please enjoy Christine Lakin. Hi, everyone. My name is Christine Lakin. I am an actor. I'm a director. I'm a producer. I'm a choreographer. And I'm a mom. And I'm a wife. And so I guess you'd call me a multi-hyphenate is the word we use these days. Um, You'd probably best know me from a sitcom in the 90s called Step by Step. It was on ABC and starred Suzanne Somers and Patrick Duffy. And I played the character Al Lambert for many years, uh, seven to be precise. And then I did a lot of other fun stuff as an actor. I've been a voiceover actor for many years. I've narrated audiobooks, over 150 some odd of them, and been on shows like Family Guy and video games. And then about five years ago, I transitioned to my career and I've mostly been directing television. I've also choreographed for a bunch of TV shows, notably The Goldbergs, Westworld, um, 90210, a couple movies thrown in here and there. So that's basically me. I've got two kids under the age of 10. My life is pretty full, but it's pretty awesome. Anything else you want to know? <laughs> Did I cover no, that was it. it. That's the whole episode. All right. <laughs> that's it. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Don't you like when you cover the entire thing in the intro? And then that's it's it. It's perfect. <laughs> Um, I'm so excited about this episode because I was thinking about it because, um, you were on the For Love A Show podcast that, uh, I did with my friend Mel, our mutual yeah. friend Mel. And, um, I, my first question to you was, do you want to be best friends? Um, let's, yes. I think let's start there. Okay. Um, do you want to be best friends? Has, have I, like, do I need to do anything more? Like, can we nail this down now? Should we keep, do I need to keep working towards it? How many more podcasts do I need to start to be able to lock in a best friendship with you? What can I do here? Um, <laughs> I mean, I feel like we're pretty much like on the way, I would say. Okay. I think we're like, you know, we haven't, we haven't drunk too much Chardonnay and cut each other's bangs yet. But other than that, <laughs> like, I think that's really the only thing we haven't done to really cement like a best friendship. But you know, I think we're definitely I will on go the way. To your house right now. Let's uh, let's do this right now. <laughs> Who's got I a wine just, key? <laughs> uh, I always I'm always prepared with a wine key, and um, I just yesterday cut bangs, so I've got the scissors here, and I'm ready to go. Okay, great. I would just use that <laughs> as a template. <laughs> Perfect. Um, 
okay, but no, no, that feels locked in. That feels com- everything I've done. It feels completely worth it to me. <laughs> um, the other thing I was excited about is because as you were doing your intro, you do so much. And um, I am excited to like, you, you have like 17 careers all at the same time. And I want to know one, how, how do you like balance all of this? You know, it's, it's really weird because I, I didn't ever intend for that to happen. It wasn't like in my life, I just thought, you know what I want to be when I grow up? All these different things. <laughs> um, I think for so much of my life, I was an actor. And that was something that I've just always done since I was very small. And I, you know, did lots of theater and lots of classes and became part of a theater company and just started going out for, you know, some commercial auditions. And it just sort of snowballed. And it, and the success just kind of happened when I was really young. And then when I got into like my 20s, I realized, oh, this is something people choose. And therefore, I am re-choosing this as an adult to continue on with. And at some point in my 20s, as many like great jobs as I had, I'd also had a lot of jobs that were just like, okay, and a few that were like really bad. And then a bunch of auditions, some of which went really well, and some of which went not so well. And it just, there wasn't, to me, there wasn't enough of a, I guess, like a a continued passion to just keep auditioning and keep trying to win that role. There was some point in which my life started to shift or my priorities started to shift. And I thought, I just don't know if I can do the rest of my life in this waiting room, like waiting to be the one like chosen, like pick me, love me. Aren't I the person that you want to be with? Like, I just couldn't do it anymore. So I think somewhat out of necessity and somewhat out of, I think my, my, wants and for what the rest of my life was going to be changing, I just started to open myself up to other things. But like the choreography thing was really, I guess the choreography and the voiceover happened around the same time. And they both came out of not me being like, I know what I'll do. Here's a great idea. (laughs) The skill sets I had that I started to be more aware of opportunities and those doors started to open. And I just kept saying yes. So I went, I got a voiceover agent. I started to do a little, you know, a few jobs here and there. Um, I narrated a book um, like over 10 years ago for a director and he liked my voice and he just kept calling me back. And since then, that's been like a, I think I've been doing that for 12 years, 12 or 13 years. And that's wow. become like a constant in my life that I, I narrate audiobooks, And it's just something I, that I, was able to do and was able to kind of slot in in between other jobs, but I really enjoy it. I feel like I get to play all these characters that on screen I would never play. And I use a different part of my skill set in terms of like telling stories. Um, but I also get to read for a living. I was like, this is a great job. I get to go sit in a small, tiny room, have nobody bother me really. And I get to read a book for a living. Like I love this job. So it just became this sort of niche world that I fell into. And then, you know, the choreography thing, I'd had a dance background and my theater company needed a choreographer. And I was the one that just kept raising my hand saying, oh, I know I can do that. (laughs) Oh yeah, I can do that. Sure, no problem. And it really led to um, 
that I guess I, I had done it in, in theater. I had randomly been nominated a couple of times. Um, and then I did a couple movie musicals, Reefer Madness. I was in Vancouver hanging out for a long period of time waiting to film all my scenes. And the choreographer, Marianne Kellogg, said, would you come assist me while you're here? You're not doing anything. And I was like, again, I just said, sure, why not? I'll learn something. And because I did that, it led to working with that first AD again. A lot of these things just paid these weird dividends to where I got yeah. back to LA and the first AD called and said, I'm working on True Blood now. I think you might be really great. I saw the way you worked with the actors. You're really good with actors. Do you think you could come in and work with these actors? It's not really dance. It's more movement. But And I said, yeah, sure. And that just kind of was like, I was just a name that kind of get got passed around. So when the Goldbergs happened, you know, 11 years ago, I, I don't even know how I got that job. But somebody called, said, we need we need a choreographer to come in, work with a couple of our young actors. And I was like, great. And suddenly I was there for 10 years. In the middle of that time, so I'd had this career. I was still acting. I was sometimes choreographing. Sometimes I was doing books. But I was just like making a living doing all of these different things. And then I realized, wait a minute. I think the thing I'm supposed to be doing is directing. I think that's actually the thing that I'm supposed to be doing. But I've done all these different jobs. And I've like written stuff and I've created things and I created a storytelling show and I, I wrote a web series. Like I was just doing stuff because I was like, I have to create my own lane and I have to figure out what yeah. I want to do and show people that I know how to do it. And I think in the middle of all of that, I finally realized like the thing I was supposed to be doing. <laughs> but I think all those other jobs led me to that conclusion and they really led me to that path. I think it's hard sometimes for actors who say, oh, but I really want to direct and I just want to change gears. And I think that's awesome. But when you've done a bunch of other stuff as well behind the scenes, you've been below the line working as a choreographer or you've written something and gone through the festival circuit or, you know, I had a show that I wrote and, and then it got bought by Hulu. And then I think that led to another show that I executive produced. And so it was a lot of these sort of little things that led to, I think, really big life changing career changing decisions which then also took a lot of time to <laughs> finally like how they happen yeah do you feel like when you realized that you wanted to direct was it a light bulb moment or was it just kind of seeing all the pieces come together and slowly realizing you wanted to do that yeah, i think it was a little bit of a light bulb moment because yeah. i'd had a lot of friends that were directors you know, I didn't go to film school. So I think there was always a little part of me that was like, oh, I don't know how to do that. I would be an imposter. All these other people are so much smarter than me. They, you know, it was just like, it was a lot of that like self-talk of like, how dare you think you can do that job, you know? And then there was one day when I was sitting on set for an exorbitantly long amount of time, as you do, and I was waiting to choreograph and I was just like watching the directors and I'd been doing that for a long time. And I just thought to myself, as I was watching this director one day, I thought to myself, I know exactly what this director is going to do next. I know what I would do next. I wonder if like, if that's going to, and then I just started to watch them and I started to look at the sides and I started to make my own shot list, literally sitting behind them and just watch and see if their shot list was like my shot list. And then it was, was usually pretty close. And wow. I knew what the DP did and I understood what the ADs did. And I read, I knew how to read the call sheet and I knew when I just, I like, 
I had all this weird knowledge that I've had for so long of like, oh, you have a child on set. How long has that kid been here? Since eight? Okay. Well, now it's 1230. If we don't get to that kid's coverage in the next hour, you've lost them. So stop with, stop what we're doing here. Get the coverage first. Do we have a double on that kid? Okay. We can go to the wide with the double, let the kid go to lunch. Like I just, I knew how it worked. And that's like, it's something that I think is one of those skill sets that's very hard to teach in school. But I suddenly had a lot of confidence because I had like, I had learned by doing, I had learned by osmosis, a lot of it. And there were still things I didn't know and still things I feel like I'm getting better and better at. Um, and always will, you know, but, um, but yeah, it was kind of a light bulb, like, hold on, I'm, I may be smarter at this than I've been giving myself credit for. And I think I can do this job. And I just need to like, I need to just like own that and move forward with it. And so that took, that was the moment where it changed for me. Yeah. Um, do you feel like if you had to pick one thing now, would it be directing or would it, would you not be able to pick one thing? Do you want to continue to like have a little bit in everything? I mean, I wouldn't want to have to pick because quite frankly, I love doing all the things I do because they yeah. all appeal to different sides of me, different like skill sets. If I could only pick one thing, but they would say, but you'll work all the time. And this is the thing that it doesn't, you know, it, you don't have to worry about like, ne- I like being busy. So if it was, it was yeah. like, oh, this is, the, this is the one avenue, but it's all, it's, you know, you'll do it all the time. I, at this point in my life would pick directing because I think it's the thing that fascinates me the most. It's the thing that challenges me the most. It fires my brain on all levels. Um, I love collaborating with people. I love working with actors. I love working with crews. I have so much respect for crews. I always have. And I love that. I love that like theater mentality. I'll always go back to that where you have this crew and we're all backstage and we're all like putting on the show like I think I always liked the backstage even more than I liked being on stage I liked the backstage antics and the like problem solving and you know the talking about it and the the getting into the like minutiae of it would he come in with that book but if he's gone out there like you could talk about why a character's motivation would make sense or not make sense like I love all of that crazy weird stuff so that's probably what I would pick yeah when you were talking about being in your 20s and, and needing to make a choice, like people decide to be an actor, do you feel like you as a kid had that choice? Like, did you want to act when you were younger or did you were you acting and then started to like it? No, I wanted to do it. I definitely wanted to do it. Um, but I, I didn't realize that it was like a career choice, if that makes sense. Like I was going to do it whether somebody – paid me or not, believe, believe you. Like I was ready to put on a free show all the time for anyone who would watch. Um, and yeah, I loved, I loved, you know, coming up with characters. I loved, I could memorize lines really quickly. I could cry on cue. Like I had a lot of these like young actor sort of tricks up my sleeve. They were just things that I, I don't know how I knew how to do them, but I did. And I think those things helped me get jobs as a young person because those were like, you could, you know, you could be really cute and you could have like a lot of charisma, but at the end of the day, if you couldn't memorize any lines and if you couldn't pull out certain emotional, you know, beats for certain characters, um, then that was really going to be, I mean, they were always going to go with the kid who could cry on cue. If that's what the role required. Um, yeah. So those were things I think initially that kind of like 
like help me get jobs. I was also really small, like really just tiny. I've always been a short, tiny person. And I think because yeah. of that, I was playing like a five-year-old when I was eight. So if you wanted a young five-year-old looking kid who could cry on cue and memorize a bunch of lines and take direction, but you got to work that child the hours of an eight-year-old, um, that was very appealing. So, you know, but I didn't care. Like none of that was translating to me. None of it registered. I was just like having the most fun, wanting to be on set all the time, wanting to do the job, like loving every moment of it. And it came so easily that I, it wasn't until like I had to really like re-choose it as an adult that I realized. And also, listen, you can be a really cute kid on a TV show and then you become an adult and there's like a hundred other factors that go into why you get picked and cho- chosen and not chosen and whatever. And I think, yeah. I think it was just like, I don't know, having to make that, um, having to make that, that realization that like as an adult, this was now like the thing I got to decide whether I wanted to do or not. I just don't know that I, it was just a part of me that was like, I don't, I don't know that I want to be privy to all the rejection. <laughs> like when you're a kid, yeah. you're kind of just like, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this thing. Or I didn't get the job. Like you're not thinking about it. You're like moving on to the, like whatever's next, you know, yeah. going back to school, going to fifth grade, being on the science team. You know, it's not the thing that you're like, <laughs> you're like an adult sitting around being like, am I going to get that job? You know, and like, like, what am I going to, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my life? You know? It was yeah. that existential crisis that I couldn't like just have the one career path. Like I was like, I can't just sit around waiting, wait for this. <laughs> my, my friends and I were talking about that the other night because it is so hard and there are a million factors that often like don't even have anything to do with you, but no. it's also, it's you. So right. it always feels like it fully has something to do with you. So like, you know, so many people say like, I'll try not to take it personally. And it's like, yeah, that's a, that's great advice. And really you have to have such a thick skin for it, but also try not to take the thing personally. That is the most personal thing about you, which might be the way you are, your likability quality, what you look like, how tall you are, what your body looks like, what color hair you have. (laughs) It's like, try not to take, but try not to take it personally. (laughs) Completely. In your twenties. Yes. And like, I also, you know, in my twenties, you know, we're talking like, this was like the early 2000s. So we were in an era of, I don't know even how to like reconcile this, but we were in an era where women on television and in movies who were my age, it was like the advent, the rebirth of like the, you know, the teen comedies it was like the American pie eras and it was like the Britney Spears moments. And it was a lot of things that I was internally not. Yeah. And it was, but that's, these were the roles. So put on your low slung pants and get your midriff out and buy a push up bra because that's what the people want. Whether you like it or not, doesn't matter. You're an actor. Like, this is what you're supposed to, and it just like, it was, it was just a weird moment to reconcile for, I think, young women <laughs> and, and media and image. Yeah. We, um, I just read Brittany's memoir and yeah. was thinking about just that time 
of media in the uh, early and mid aughts and how like I can't even imagine like and I think that a lot of people who um, weren't uh, aware of things happening then couldn't even like wrap their heads around the idea of like not being able to walk outside I guess Taylor Swift would be like the equivalent of it right now like can't walk outside without a million flash bulbs like right in your face from all the cameras and sitting in your car and all of that you um you told and you told it so hilariously uh on the on when we did for love a show but you talked about hanging out with Paris Hilton and what that was like but did you have to experience that like insane amount of the cameras and everything that followed her around it felt like she that was always happening to her it was always happening I mean we were in an that was an era of like x17 online and tmz and um, you know, um, Us Weekly. And it, it was all about paparazzi at that moment, yeah. specifically, because people had Blackberries and they had flip phones, but no one was taking like really good high resolution photos of anyone at that yeah. time. So it was all about like, you know, photographers getting the shots. And so I think that dictated a lot of things. Um, but I mean, I never personally, you know, when I was on a TV show, none of that existed. And like Teen Beat and Tiger Beat were like the only things that were really out there. And that was usually like a, you know, a grainy, like black and white photo that would get submitted or maybe they would ask you for an interview. Like it was all very kind of on the up and up. It was not invasive in that manner. No one was taking a picture of me at like Contempo Casuals. Um, (laughs) They were maybe looking at me or like gawking at me or maybe asking for a photo, but there was like, nobody was pulling out like a, disposable camera to take a photo in the time that I spent working with Paris and in some of the the after um promoting the movie and stuff I for a brief period got to witness what it was like to be in that kind of an orbit and it was um it was chaotic like for me I'm not saying like for her or anyone else but um I think there are certain people that thrive on that, that understand it, that get that that's part of the game and that, you know, probably perpetuate it to a degree because that's part of their brand and that's part of their thing and they like being in the limelight. And that that was always the part for me that was more uncomfortable. I liked the work. I liked theater. I liked, you know, I loved doing the studio audience, like uh, sitcoms. I loved working in films. I I could do the promotional stuff when I had to, but I was not like walking out and having paparazzi just taking photos and having people just in your face saying whatever, because they, they talk to you too. And that's the thing that people don't remember is that they would say stuff. They would. And I think for a lot of people, they would say not nice stuff to try to get a reaction in the photo. Right. That is, that is not for me. And I think that would be, um, yeah, it was kind of scary. I guess that people get used to it, but I thought it was, I thought it was extra. It was too much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It it seems scary. It seems scary just from the outside, even like seeing that. Yeah. It's like, how is nobody, I mean, people, you know, do get hurt from it, but it just seems really dangerous and also emotionally awful. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's really crazy. And I think there are people that, you know, they have to learn to deal with it with their careers and they figure out how to, how to, how to deal with it. And then there are people who make careers out of that and play to it and use it. And um, yeah, I've seen a lot of people fall off curbs because they can't see where they're going. 
<laughs> so, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> I um I feel like I fall enough on my own, just like regular walking yeah. on X. Yeah. So I don't need somebody following me around, taking pictures of uh, just waiting for me to screw up. Totally. It's terrible. It's yeah. weird. I mean, a couple of times I came out of like the Pantages. This is such a, like a weird thing to think about. I'm like going to see a musical, okay, or like a play or whatever, coming out of the Pantages and there would be like a TMZ person being like, like there with a the camera asking me a bunch of questions about God knows what, and you just feel like suddenly you're, like, on. And you're, like, <laughs> like, it was so unnatural and strange, you know? But you don't, like, thing. your first reaction is to be, like, oh, hello. It's just very weird. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the other thing, too. The, the TMZ thing is the oddest one because if they, you're there, they want to get the footage of you. But if you haven't done any, like, scandalous things or something that's specifically, like, they, they've got to ask you about something. So then now you're just getting like random questions about yeah. people that you might not even know. Now yeah. you're on. Or they're like trying to get you to talk shit about someone, you know? Yeah. And like, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna do that. That was never gonna, you were not gonna, I was not gonna be the person who's gonna start a feud. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> that was not my MO. No. So. <laughs> um, this is a really random question, but I've thought about it a lot. Uh, when I was a kid, we always like refer to me being a kid as like, oh, when I was a young man, because I was such a tomboy. I would wear my little hats. My little, I would have my little skateboard, um, my jean jacket, ill-fitting jean jacket. Just I was like a, a little boy running around, little tomboy. Um, so I related very heavily to the character of Al because I was like, I this is cool. But Al was like cooler than me. I wasn't. That would be that was like aspirational. If I could be as cool as Al, that'd be it. But I wasn't. I was just like <laughs> trying to ollie off of my neighbor's um, ramp. So, um, but I, as an adult, wonder if what did it feel like to play out? Because you know, we talked. Um, people talk often about like Andrea Barber playing Kimmy and how she talks about how like I didn't want to take any of the wardrobe home. And when I was a kid, it was kind of embarrassing because I was like the neighbor that had smelly feet. <laughs> but did it? So as like a young girl and a young teenager. Did you enjoy playing Al or was it, did it feel a little bit like now I have to be a tomboy? Maybe you weren't a tomboy. Um, the, playing the character Al uh, for me uh, at that age was incredibly empowering. It was very empowering. Cool. And I wouldn't say that I was as much of a tomboy as Al was. I wasn't good at sports. As I mentioned, I was very small my whole life. So I did a lot of dance. I did a lot of theater. I was a theater kid. So it was like dance, ballet, tap, jazz, dance company, theater company, like swimming in the summer. Like that, that was what I did, um, gymnastics. So the idea of being this, but, but I did have, like, I wouldn't say I was like the girliest girl necessarily. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I was definitely wearing like umbros and baggy t-shirts and, you know, that I, I wasn't, I wasn't all into bows and, and all of that, like, you know, in, when I was young, but just the, the, I think the vibe of who that character was, the take no shit, you know, really like in her skin, in her, like felt, felt really empowering to, I think pretend to be that person and the way that they wrote for her like best one-liners nobody nobody effed with her like she was sort of like 
you know, above it all, like all the time. And it was like, it was great. It was honestly, it was great to play someone like her. Um, She was somebody that I, I mean, that was a character I loved. I genuinely did. And I think like so much of my own love for that character hopefully bled through. Um, But even in the moments where like Al sort of, because, you know, there were two other girls on the show and they got like great wardrobe and they were always wearing like really fancy, really exciting, you know, and as I was like clothes and hair and makeup and the whole thing. And as I started to get a little older, because I started the show when I was 12. So as I was like 14, bordering on 15, you know, my own tastes were changing a little bit. And of course there was a part of me that's like, how long am I going to wear a backwards hat for guys? <laughs> like, when are we going to transition out out of overalls? I don't know if I should be wearing overalls. I'm 14 years old. Like who's wearing overalls? You know, there's a little bit of like, this isn't not, I'm not a child anymore. So we had to find like, and everybody was on board with that. Nobody wanted to keep me as some like weird, you know, stunted child. Um, But we had to really figure out like, what was that bridge and what was the next evolution of like who Al was? How could we keep that essence of this person, but still, you know, have like she was she was like growing and changing but she was still gonna be that you know that kind of girl and I think we like figured it out I mean Al got pretty girly like later on just fashion everything I mean it was it was the 90s like we all wanted to wear crushed velvet and lace dresses okay um but like Al's version of of you know who she was gonna be she became like going from like a tomboy to being kind of like a tough chick who was a little boy crazy and I sort of yeah. liked that, you know, she was, she was going to like go out and get what she wanted like all the time. Yeah. So <laughs> I thought that was pretty rad. Cool. Good. I'm glad to hear that because I liked the character a lot, but you know, I didn't have to play the character. So right. <laughs> I don't know how, if it felt any different. Where do you think, uh, do you ever think about characters after you have um, act, acted as them, especially Al for, you know, something that you were, uh, you embodied for so long. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I, you know, I, when I'm watching, when if I do like a rewatch on something, it's it's like in this weird part of your brain where you can almost start to remember, like I can, I start to re- almost remember the punchline before I, it's being said. It's like I remember the cadence wow. of the scene or the cadence of the dialogue. And I have like a visceral rem- memory sometimes of actually being there and doing it. So it's like, it's like watching a home movie, but not, <laughs> it's yeah. weird. Um, yeah. It's like, you remember so much about it, but you're also watching it as like a third, per- from like a third person perspective. That's like got a bunch of different angles and shots. <laughs> You've got great hair and makeup. Like it's weird. Um, but yeah, I mean, I often think about that. Like there's a, there's a couple of roles I've had that um, I did this musical, um, a while back and it's, it was called silence and it was a parody of silence of the lambs. And I had seen it in New York and I thought it was so brilliant. Like it was one of the funniest things I'd ever seen. Um, and I heard it was coming to LA and I was like, I've got to get an audition for that. Like I just knew in my heart, I was like, that is a dream role for me because I, I know how to do that accent. I know how to do the Jodie Foster voice it's a brilliant show. Like, I just know I could do it. And so I got myself an audition and I won that job. And I think back on that role quite a lot, just because of how brilliant the show was. 
And it, the, the fact that I just felt like I was, I knew before, like when I was watching it, I knew I was right for it. And there's not that many roles I feel that way about. Yeah. There's just not, there's been a few in my life that I have felt like I was just perfect. Like I, I got it right away. Everything else I've sort of felt like, what do they want? I'm going to try to fit into this weird mold that they sort of kind of want. And like, it's always this, you know, this very strange description of like, she's nice, but she's mean, but she's <laughs> likable, but she's got her own agenda. <laughs> what, is this, what is this description? She's tall, but not that tall. <laughs> what? She's pretty, but she doesn't know it. She's smart, but nobody else pays attention. Like that, Yeah. Like, she's like, she's like controlling, but in the most lovable way. Huh? <laughs> okay. Sure. Let's go for that. <laughs> what does that mean? Um, you, you can do a Jodie Foster. Do you do other impressions? Um, can you do impressions? No, I don't really just... do like, I don't really do many impressions. It was just. That was that was just something so specific, and I watched that movie so many times, like in preparation of doing that show. Even though the show was like a complete farce, it was just like silly and satirical. I played it like there were lives on the line, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. So Davis Gaines was the in the version I did. Davis Gaines, um, who had, has been the Phantom a million times on Broadway, uh, he played the Hannibal Lecter role. And, you know, he's singing songs like I can smell her C-U-N-T as there's a dream ballet going on and of a dream Clarice and, Hex and you know, and the Hannibal Lecter. I mean, there's a song called Put the Effing Lotion in the Basket. Um, I mean, it's, it's really fun. It's a really, it's a great show. But yeah, I worked on that accent a lot and I, um, I just, I, I worked on the way she said things, the way she talked. Mr. Lecter. And I just like, I was so in it. I was so believing so exactly who that character was. So it was a lot of fun. I would love to that's do cool. that one again. Like that's the one that could like really bring me, bring me back to the stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would do it again in a heartbeat. I had the best time. Uh, are there any, is, would you rather do a musical than like a straight drama comedy? It really doesn't matter, honestly, to me. I think it all just depends on on the material, you know. Um, I think I think doing a musical is so much harder. <laughs> There's a certain yeah. amount of like, you know, and, and all the times I did musicals and and shows with my theater company. Um, there's a there's a lot that goes into it that people don't see. The just the the training, the keeping your voice in shape, the not going out after the show, the getting enough sleep. Like, you really have to take care of your body in a completely different way. And I think people, when it looks so easy, people just assume that it is. But I think there's a lot of people that, especially on Broadway, that really, they have a lot of routine that they have to keep up in order to kind of, you know, keep in shape for it. And like, I'm not, I would have to really get back into it because it's been a long time since I, I've sung or anything like that. So, yeah. <laughs> I um yeah I was out when you said you can't go out after a show that was the end of it for me yeah I know <laughs> I know yeah. it's the worst <laughs> yeah it's all you want to do you're like it's ten thirty at night you just want to go have a drink with all the people that came to the show and like but you can't go to the loud bar because you can't can't be screaming all night so oh yeah. god I know no, no. what a nightmare 
<laughs> that's um that was my favorite thing about working the only sitcom i've ever worked or live audience show that i've ever worked was fuller house and that was always my favorite thing after show night because you're even just like for the crew you it's like such a high to have this audience come in and you're just the energy is like so high for the entire and it feels like a very um high wire act like yeah the the audience is there right? and this is the show you're you're this is going to be what the episode is so you better get it yep. and there are kids so you better not screw it up and then uh you gotta come down from it so everyone h- hanging out afterwards and like having a couple drinks having pizza that was always my favorite part of the whole thing so fun do you did you get to experience that like obviously like as an adult you could because you are an adult now and you get to do what you want. Um, but when you were younger, did you get to experience that like after the show hanging out or did you have to book it? Yeah, there was there were definitely several nights like and as I got to be when I was really young now, you know, but as I got to be a little bit older, you know, maybe 14, 15, 16, what we would do a lot of times my parents with like an, another set of parents would go to there was like a couple little cafes that were close to Warner Brothers. And we would go do like dessert and coffee and the parents would get a drink or whatever. But it was all about like, let's go to the da-da-da and get, you know, like dessert and coffee. And that would be like our thing. So, and sometimes it was even just like Bob's Big Boy or whatever. So there were definitely a couple of places like that that were old standbys, yeah. Nice. Was all of Step by Step at Warner Brothers? The first two seasons we shot at Culver Studios in... Yeah, Culver City. So yeah. my mom and I lived at uh, Park La Brea, which is right by the Grove. We lived in those large towers from like the 40s that <laughs> nobody under the age of like 78 lived in. So <laughs> I think I was the only child that lived there. But they were like made of steel. They'd been there forever. They'd survived all these earthquakes. So it felt very safe and it was like gated community and it was just like weird. I had a I had a view of a large billboard of Angeline. So there you go. (laughs) Right (laughs) on. Great. Um, So, yeah, we shot there for the first two years, and then we moved to Warner Brothers, and then my mom and I moved to the Valley. So we we lived in really close, like um, Toluca Lake area. Oh, man. I moved to Toluca Lake when I first moved to L.A. and lived there for the first, like, eight years that I was here and. It's just such a lovely area. It's great to walk around. It's cool. It's I love great. It. Yeah. I love it there too. It really has like a lot of childhood memories for me. Yeah. Are you originally from LA? Where are you from originally? No. So I was born in Dallas when, um, and then I, we moved when I was six months old, um, kind of up and down the East Coast. I lived in Maryland for a little bit, Florida, Virginia. And then finally, when I was six, we settled in Atlanta. Um, and essentially lived there um, until I left for college. So I would go back and forth. I was um, discovered, I guess, for the show and put out, I'd been doing stuff locally in Atlanta. So I'd been in a theater company, as I mentioned, and a dance company, and I did competition dance and some like small time, you know, commercials and then a few nationals and then like a movie would roll through Atlanta. And so, you know, shoot in Savannah or something like that. And so I did something like that. And then I put myself on tape, basically, for the, this role. And then the producers wanted to see me, flew out to L.A., auditioned for them, got the pilot, stayed for two weeks, shot the pilot. And then three months later, it was picked up. And my mom and I had to figure out, like, 
really it was my mom, let's be honest, um, had to figure out all the logistics of how this was going to work. So it was like corporate housing and rented furniture and rental car and a tutor and schoolwork being FedExed and faxed and all the things. But my parents were like, we're not going to move to LA. Like, what if the show goes for six months and gets canceled? Yeah. What if it goes for a year? Like, we're not, you know. And my dad traveled a lot for work. So my dad was on the West Coast a lot. So he'd come out and work at a corporate office in San Jose, and then he'd fly down on the weekends and be with us. So we just kind of had this system. And I'd go back to school, to Atlanta, and I'd go to a regular school there. And so from the time we were on, like, our major hiatus from, like, February until July, I was just in Atlanta doing regular kid stuff, which was really nice. And then I moved here when I started college. Yeah, I went to UCLA. Oh, she's fancy. I didn't go to UCLA, but I wanted to when I was a kid. And then I was like, oh, you have to be smart and like apply yourself. So that'd be really smart now. (laughs) That was never going to be, that was never going to work for me. I went to a college that got shut down. So. Got the, I still got the degree, but it does not exist anymore. And Amazing. it was like 50-50 when I was there. They were like, we might shut down. My poor mom. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Um, will my credits um, transfer? Will my credits transfer? That's all I care about. They, w- they would not have. Great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great. That's great. Because also film school was like, this is... What are we doing here, guys? What am I? What am I really? What tools am I learning here that will apply in other places? None. None. I mean, that's really what you have to ask yourself the whole time. Like, I went to UCLA, but I, I didn't. I, I was thinking about applying to the film school there, which is a two-year program. And when I told them that I was still like in the business and acting, and I didn't want to quit that, they were like, "Uh, yeah, we really need your undivided attention." And I was like, "Well, I'm gonna keep doing my career because that's how I." have health insurance and it's how I pay my bills and I'm not just gonna no. so yeah I was a yeah I was a communications major so we can talk about what I learned a <laughs> <laughs> whole lot of stuff that I don't don't think really applies <laughs> <laughs> do you uh it's surprising that they were like we don't want you to also continue to work because it feels like it would be good for the school if you can handle both if you know yourself as a student as a person that you can do both at the same time then for them, it feels like this is great for the school. Yeah, I think in theory, that does make sense. And I probably understand in practice, like if you are needing to crew on all your, your, you know, colleagues and other students' films, and then you're trying to make your film, and then I say to somebody, sorry, I can't do sound this uh, this Thursday because I'm working on Third Rock from the Sun or whatever. I'm sure that would be like super annoying, you know, because I was constantly out of school. I was constantly doing guest stars and like I'd get an independent film or I'd get, you know, a, a job that worked for three or four weeks. And the school yeah. was un, like remarkably um, unappreciative of anything I had to go do, even in the communications um, uh, even in, in that, that degree, like I would need to leave and I wouldn't be able to make a discussion session, which you had lectures and then you had discussion sections. And if you couldn't make your discussions, then if you made, if you missed like more than one or two, it was like an automatic F. I don't want to get an F in the class. So I'd have to be like typing the TA and been like, this is what I'm up to. And they just did not care. They did not care. And so I, I would have to drop the class because I didn't, 
it's like going to ruin my GPA. I can't fail the class. What's the point? So yeah. I'm just dropping the class and then I'd have to re-enroll in the class in the next quarter. And it was just a nightmare. It was so, that honestly was like signing up for classes, dealing with like the UC system, trying to find parking. I didn't live on campus. Like it was a nightmare. And I'm like trying to leave early to go get like to Santa Monica to go on an audition. Like it was, <laughs> it was a nightmare. So how hard. Long, how long were you in school for then? If you have to continue dropping and then picking up and dropping and picking up. I, I'm still in school. I haven't. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> a thousand years, Kim. I'm still. <laughs> you and the kids are going to graduate at the same time. And I oh love God. that. <laughs> you um, guys are all I, in the same grade, actually. It's pretty We amazing. are. We are. It's good. <laughs> at least my daughter can do statistics for me because I was bad at that. Um, <laughs> no, I was. It took me five years. I was on the five-year plan. But I would do a lot of summer school. And then I realized the thing that I hadn't been doing all along, which was I should be getting some of these credits like out of the way and like during summer school. I'm an yeah. idiot. Like, why am I going? And I don't even need to do them at UCLA. I could go to like LA Valley College, which yeah. is like, you know, a third of the price. It was so much easier. I just like started like, I was like, I got to get, I got to run through this stuff, guys. I got to run through it. <laughs> I got to get like, you know, by, I got like three bio credits I needed or science credits or something like that. It was just like, but the biggest mistake I made was leaving statistics to the very last quarter. It was bad. It was not good. And I just had kept putting it off and putting it off. And I was not adept at that class. And if I failed, I would basically have failed college and like wouldn't have been able to graduate. It was awful. I didn't fail. Thank God, but it was it was rough there for a minute. It's really oh, rough. Man. Sounds terrible. I was like, I, I don't do understand any, any of this. <laughs> I did not have to do any real classes, so statistics I never even took. But it seems bad. It doesn't bad. seem fun, but um, it doesn't make sense to me. None of it made sense. No. <laughs> I learned to just like go against my instincts and like start the answer that I thought would be right, and then I would look at the other one and choose that one. <laughs> That's how off I was. <laughs> And I think, I think that's the good thing to learn in college is right? to just ignore your instincts. Go against your instincts. Yeah. That's, that's the exact right lesson to be taking oh from college. Oh it's no. Awful. I know. <laughs> um, were kids in college and also um, just through all the rest of your schooling, did they treat you differently? Was it weird? Was it weird for them? Um, you know, when I started uh, step-by-step, I had changed schools in Atlanta. Um, I'd gone to like a really small, like Christian school for, you know, um, third, fourth, fifth grade. And then when I started step-by-step that, that school was just so small that I had to find, we had to find another larger school that fed into a, a high school. So it just, it was happenstance that I changed schools. So it was not the greatest of timing, <laughs> Because I started at a brand new school that had a ton more people. I knew a couple of kids from my prior school that had also transferred to the same one. It was a big private school in Atlanta. Um, And I was now in class with the target audience of TGIF. Cool, cool, cool. So the very time, like in seventh grade, when all you want to do is blend in and wear the same rainbow rope belt, from the gap that everyone else is wearing, now I'm sticking out like a sore thumb. Because not only am I on a TV show that airs on Friday night in which everybody watches, it's also, 
it's not Los Angeles. So it's also super weird that there would be a kid in your class that's on a TV show. This is not Atlanta now. We're like a thousand things filmed there. This is Atlanta <laughs> yeah. 1991, you know? So it was, it was kind of intense. I mean, no one was ever rude to me. I didn't experience like bullying or anything like that. It was just in seventh grade, it was like a lot of questions. It was a lot of, you know, and sometimes inappropriate questions of like, is you know, how much money do you make? And do you think oh. you're rich? And do you think you're better than us? And like, you know, but I was always like, no, <laughs> like, no. Like I was so good at downplaying all of it. Um, yeah. And and then is Patrick Duffy your real dad? And I'd be like, does that make sense to you? <laughs> no. How old were these kids? Because they sound like, like they're 40-year-old stockbrokers <laughs> and also like seven-year-olds. <laughs> How much money? What are you putting in an Roth or a IRA? And then yeah. also like, hey, um, is this person that's not your dad your actual dad? <laughs> the novelty of it like wore off and then yeah. I think people just talked quietly behind my back about it but <laughs> oh good <laughs> yeah I'm pretty sure that happened but like but it wasn't there the vibe wasn't menacing the vibe wasn't weird people like generally kind of just left me alone after a while because quite frankly I was gone all the time and then I'd like yeah. show back up at school and be like oh nice you get to go to school one week out of the year like nobody had any idea that it was that I was really working a full-time job and having a tutor or two or three tutors and having to do schoolwork on the weekends. And like, it was like crazy. Everyone, it just looked so easy because I wasn't never there. So they just assumed I didn't have to do anything, um, which is fine. That's, you know, that's kids. But um, but I generally, like, I, I wasn't the most popular person at school and I wasn't the least popular person at school. I don't know. I, I rode somewhere in the middle and I had a lot of like, I had a small group of close friends, um, but everyone was pretty friendly with me, which was great. In college, nobody cared. Literally, nobody cared. Um, I don't even know if I was recognized in college. I feel like <laughs> most people were just barely making their own classes. I didn't live on campus. Like, I was a real, like, I got to get in, I got to go. Like, I was not having a college experience. I was literally, like, I'm here for the, here for the work. I'm here for the things. Hey, you. I might need to borrow your notes later because I have an audition. I need to leave early. Can I get your number? Like I was a lot of that. Yeah. And then me being like, okay, I'm going to go back to my apartment in the Valley because I have to work tomorrow. Oh, and I have tickets for the Amundsen tonight. So <laughs> it's just so, I was like a 45 year old woman. I had tickets to the taper. I had a bottle of wine waiting at home. Like I just needed to like go see theater and like have a glass of wine and like, you know, make my morning class. <laughs> Incredible. I mean, I was not your average freshman. Do you feel yeah. like you missed out on having a college experience or do you wish you had that? You know, I went, I had so many friends that went to Big Ten schools and schools all over the country, but a lot of like, a lot of schools in the South, big, you know, and I would go and visit them and we would have like the typical college experience and go to like a keg party or a frat party or go to a big game or whatever. And it was like, super fun. And I was so happy that I had those moments. Um, I don't know. I didn't really, at the time I never felt like I was missing out on anything. Cause I also really loved, 
you know, my own experience, which was yeah. I had some older friends. They were like in their mid 20s. Some of them were aspiring actors. I had a boyfriend, a serious boyfriend at the time. And it was just, we were just like all about going to like the theater and nice dinners. <laughs> and I was like, I feel great about this choice. Like I was, I was good with it. So, and I don't look back now and be like, well, you know, really wish I'd been hazed. <laughs> like, there's no part of me that's like, you know, sad about that. Yeah. <laughs> Very fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, we haven't talked about your, uh, in addition to literally every, everything in the world that you do, um, your podcasting. Oh yeah. Like a prolific podcaster. Well, yeah, I have been for, yeah, a series of time. I, um, so I had a podcast that came out actually out of a live show. So I started a live storytelling show over 10 years ago. It was a time at which like storytelling shows were very big in LA and people were doing a lot of them, The Moth and Sit and Spin and all these other ones. But um, I, I was sitting around with friends and we were all talking about our awful, hilarious auditions, most of which came out of the commercial world, just saying. Um, and you couldn't make these stories up. I mean, they were just, the fact that they were all true just made me laugh so hard. So it kind of came out of that, that worst audition ever was, was born. And people would come to the basement of Casita del Campo, which is a Mexican restaurant that had a um, uh, probably health hazardous theater under, <laughs> underneath. Um, it was held together by like chicken wire and faulty lighting. And we would get on, they'd get on the stage and we would produce the show. Um, and I would put like, you know, their headshot up and their name, and then they would come out and start to tell their story. And then behind them, we would project like real images, images we'd find, like anything that had to do with the story, just to kind of enhance the story. And cool. so that went on for like three years and it became a bunch of different stories. It wasn't just auditions anymore. And we started to do like, worst breakups and worst um, vacations and family stories and holidays and all kinds of things. Um, and after we ran that show for a bunch, for a, for a while, we did a couple really big ones. We did one at Joe's Pub in New York. Um, and then we had an idea to bring it as a pilot. Um, I had a producer named um, Krisha Planka who's wonderful, who I'd worked with. And she came to the show and I pitched her the idea and we got together. We partnered with uh, Krisha and her company, Thank You Brain. And we pitched the show and sold it to Pop. And we made a pilot for Pop. And it was, it was a hybrid. So some of the show was live, filmed. But then as people would start telling their stories, we would animate them. Or we would do like kind of what we did on stage, which was like pop-up video kind of stuff cool. or we would reenact so it was almost like a drunk history moment where someone would be telling the story but then we would go into the the other thing so we made the pilot for them um sadly they didn't pick it up but it was really fun to make and then yeah. after that I had a baby and I was like I can't keep doing these shows in the basements of Mexican restaurants <laughs> <sighs> like what am I gonna do be like pumping on the side so we then turned it into a podcast and we did many episodes of the podcast and, and now we're done with that show, but it's, um, but I am starting a new one. Um, that is a rewatch show of step-by-step, Step, um, with none other than Stacey Keenan. 
So we've been working on this for a very long time. But Stacy also has another career. Stacy's a lawyer. So she really made a made a left turn out of the business and she's yeah. a um, criminal prosecutor. So wow. she puts away a lot of bad guys who and and sometimes and women too, bad people that do not good things. Yeah, women can um, be bad too. Let's, women can be know. bad too. Not to say guys, I mean men. No. Um but don't don't women at me. Do um, women can do anything. They can be can bad. Do anything. Um, but anyway, so we've filmed, we've filmed, we've recorded uh, most of the first season and now we're just, we need to figure out our cleanup process and bring on a producer and how we're going to distribute it. But the interesting thing about it is, so Stacy never watched one episode of Step by Step. She's never wow. seen the show. How much so, older is she than you? Um, let me think. Uh, Stacy is four years older. I think she's four years older. I started step by step when I was twelve, and I think she was fifteen or sixteen. She definitely had at least a driver's license or a learner's permit. She, but that. she uh, she remembers it a little bit at least too, or she has definitely has a very spotty memory of a lot of it, which yeah. is also interesting, you know. But she like had a completely different career trajectory than I did. This was like the biggest thing that had ever happened to me, and she'd already been on two or three shows, you know. She was like. <laughs> old hat um no but she was also just I don't know she just she never like cared to watch her work and I think that is that's endemic of a lot of actors um who just don't want to you know judge themselves or whatever but what's been interesting about it is because she is re-watching it for the first time she's having like a lot of you know uh, um, discoveries about the show and about the people on it and that sometimes it was really funny in ways she didn't realize and yeah. do the episodes all hold up and you know and like what are the what are the themes and what are the tropes and so we discussed that but we also discuss a lot about our lives at that time and um, what we remember from that and what we remember from the backstage and from our relationship with each other and the people that worked on the show and you know, the 90s were also a, a time before a lot of things were documented. So it's, um, yeah, in the same way that we document them now. So it's it's been a lot of fun. Cool. I'm excited to listen to it. I like all the, the rewatch podcasts because I like hearing all the behind the scenes and especially when there's been so much time between oh, yeah. filming it and, and now. Yeah. That's cool. What has been the most surprising thing about going back to rewatch it? Um. I think two things. I think uh, a lot of it, not everything, of course, but there are jokes that hold up pretty well. And yeah. I think because they're universal, they're just, they're not about anything topical or political or anything like that. And I think those actually hold up really well. And the relationship between the two main characters played by Patrick Duffy and Suzanne Summers, um, their relationship, and I remember this, so it wasn't, it, I guess it wasn't surprising, but it was refreshing to watch again as an adult. Um, their relationship was, was really wonderful and it was really fun and it was fun to watch. And it's because they really liked each other in real life. And when you know that, and then you watch it again as an adult, you're like, here's two adult actors, literally who are my age now, but doing that show and who genuinely like loved working with each other. Um, also the fashion is surprising. It's surprising how bad some of it is. Like it is shocking. 
Really? We talk about it a lot, Stacy and I. I'm like, what in God's green earth are you wearing? She's like, I don't know why I'm a 15-year-old girl wearing full stockings, heels, pearls, my hair in a bow, like a blazer. I'm like, are you going to your job at HR? Like, are you in high school? What are you doing? Like, who dresses like this? It was, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Cool. I'm excited to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Awesome. This has been great. I feel like I want to talk to you for five more hours. I have a lot more questions. Do you have five more hours? Is that okay? I mean, I've got until I have to pick up my kids. Let's bring bring the kids into the show, actually, also. (laughs) Oh, Oh, you know what? I can't not ask you about the Cheerios commercial. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just because I think it's important in everyday life to always talk about Chloe Weaver in any way, oh. anytime you, anybody that knows Chloe should be bringing her up in day-to-day conversation just I as agree. much as possible. Chloe uh, Weaver is a, an amazing DP. That was my first time working with her. I know it won't be my last. Um, I had such a blast with her. That was such a, uh, so I did, for those who don't know, there's a, a short out there. It's a musical short called An Interracial Couple in a Cheerios Ad. This is a spoof on a Cheerios commercial. It's not not paid for by General Mills at all. Um, but these two very funny ad guys in advertising um, who I met, um, David and Yuri, they've worked in advertising for many years, and they wanted to spoof the advertising industry and make something just funny and ridiculous. So it's about trying to create the most inclusive um, commercial that was ever created. And in doing so, these creatives start talking about who should be in the commercial. And the walls kind of open up and all these different players come in to sort of audition their version of the commercial. And it gets like wilder and wilder and wilder until we literally have like 25 people on the stage all vying to get this job. So it's, yeah, it's very silly and really fun. And we've we've done a lot of festivals with it and it's done really well. So it was a blast. It's really great. I really liked it a lot. Um, <laughs> let me ask you something. I Because I asked Chloe. Chloe was telling me that you guys were, were going to do this. And um, I was with our other. We, the weird thing about you and I is that we have like a lot of mutual friends, but in different areas. And then they I all know. also overlap as well. So I was with our other good friend, Melanie's, uh, at her uh, daughter's birthday. Yeah. And uh, Chloe was also there. And so we were talking about. Uh, Chloe getting ready to do this commercial with you or this short with you and uh, how you guys had not met and how funny it was that we all um, knew you and her through different ways. And um, I said that what I would like to do was show up on set with that uh, unannounced to you, but announced to Chloe um, dressed as a Cheerio. And Chloe thought that perhaps, no, that was perhaps not going to be the move. And I was like, no, I'm, t- I'm telling you, this is gonna, it's going to be fucking gold. <laughs> Um, what would have been your reaction if un- just without any prior knowledge of this, here comes Kim in a Cheerios commercial. We've met at this point twice in person. <laughs> would it have been, would it have gone over as well as I think it would have? I probably, honestly, during what I remember of those two days we shot that, which was so intense. I probably would have been like, oh, hi, Kim, are you in this? What is this? Are we doing this? Are we shooting this? Did someone approve this? Are we, are we, we're sticking her in. Who changed the script? Do, is there something I don't know? Like, I probably, it would have all gone to logistics. This could have been my just, moment. 
this could have been your moment. And quite frankly, the guys probably would have loved it. And they would have been like, oh my God, stick her in. Why didn't we think of this? Like we should have someone who's actually representing, like no one, everyone's representing like all kinds of different, you know, backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds and, and preferences and, and pronouns, but no one's actually representing the cheery, oh, the thing. So it probably would have been genius. Oh, man. Well, you could have been dancing around with a sub-Dalmatian. <laughs> okay, well, let's do it. Let's get everybody I mean, back. Let's just let's call them all back in. <laughs> do it one more time. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, wild. Uh, wild. Um, do people call you by your last name often? I always want to call you by your last name. I feel like people should just refer to you as like a lot of people call me by my last name yeah you have like a there's something you're you're the vibe is that that's the nickname for you very few people call me christine yeah that (laughs) makes sense yeah um a lot of people especially people i've worked with call me either lakin or lakey lakey was my yeah my theater nickname not chris ever that one that doesn't feel i i have a couple really the the um the friends I told you about, with the, we'd go to the taper on the Amundsen. <laughs> they would call me Chris. But that was like a, which I also don't mind. But the thing that really I don't like is Christina. That is not well, my name. That's not your, yeah, that's, that, that would make sense. That's not your name. It's, it, it, it's, it's strange, but people want to always call me either Kristen or Christina. And I want to be like, no, no, no. Now we're just being lazy. Now we're just not reading <laughs> correctly it's not my name yeah. <laughs> it makes me nuts huh no, i don't like that for you no i I'll don't like that for give me either. the say their names on air right now the people that do okay. this say their full names and we'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know what's funny is that uh so lakin has been mispronounced so many times as well which is just like i had we had this joke with jody um and then we put it in our show hollywood darlings that people would constantly get my name wrong They'd call me like Larkin, Lackin, Lottie. I'm like, I'm not Christine Lottie. Just because my first name is Christine and my last name starts with an L doesn't mean you can just completely superimpose me as someone, as a totally different actress. It's like, what's happening? Um, but I, I, my married name is Bro, but it's, it's pronounced Bro, but it's spelled B-R-E-A-U-L-T. It looks like oh, Brialt. Yeah. And at our wedding, we made some announcement about like the bro wedding. People were like, that's how you pronounce that name? <laughs> so I just have a new lot in life of people never. And, and now I've just come become accustomed when I call to make a reservation anywhere. And they're like, what's the last name? And I say bro. And they're like, how do you spell it? I'm like, B-R-O. <laughs> Yeah. Because I'm not going through this any longer. <laughs> yeah. I, I, unfortunately, that feels like the right move. Oh, you know? man. Um, maybe you guys should change the spelling officially, do you think? it's. I mean, it could be on the table. People are always – but then people are very astounded that our last name is bro. They're like, wait, like bro? And I'm like, yeah, bro. Bro. <laughs> cool name. <laughs> I mean, it's – Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can't get away from it it's all right like it bro it's cool like it bro yeah <laughs> i like it <laughs> um where uh where can people find you on social media i'm at yo lakin i see if you know me you call me by lakin 
So that's why I'm, yo, Lakin. But I don't know if anyone gets that. Anyway, that's where that's I am. That's how I've always social. gotten it. Okay, good. Yeah, that's... even uh, before you and I met, because I would listen to your worst ever podcast. Yeah, thank and I'd you. Be like, yeah, very good podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, that's how I always thought it was meant to be. Yeah, you can find me there, and I think I'm the same. I, I might be Christine Lake, an official on Facebook. I don't know. I don't know how to use the Facebook. I feel like it no. just keeps changing, and I need a lesson. So yeah. I'm sorry for the Facebook users. I apologize. Um, the um, the podcast that's coming out is called Keenan and Lakin Give You Deja Vu. And so you can find us on social at Keenan and Lakin. Um, but TBD. Coming soon. <laughs> Coming soon. Cool. Coming soon. <laughs> Once she finishes this case and then we get a, a break and we can have a conversation. Yeah. I mean, it's so wild to think about like her day to day is just like, oh, a, a giant case. And then also a podcast for, about something that she did as like a, a child. I know. I think, and it's funny because, you know, she came to me with the idea and was like, I think it'd be really fun. And I was like, I, there are very few people I would entertain this with and you are one of them because it just yeah. makes complete sense. And I love hanging out with her and I, she's so smart and she's so witty and fun. Um, and I think she just, honestly, I think it's like the light thing in her life to go do, you know, because yeah. her job is pretty hectic. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's been fun. It's been fun to like reminisce for sure. Did you guys stay in touch all throughout between Step by Step and now? Yeah, we did. Um, we did. I mean, some years a little more than others. You know, she was in, she went back to school as well. Um, we both went to UCLA. She got a degree in art history and then, um, and then she went to law school. I know. <laughs> I know. And then she decided she was going to go to law school and then that became like, a sole focus for a good period of time. And then she was working for a DA in Riverside. And it was just like, wow. she's really been on a, her career path has really been um, very consuming um, as I, as you can imagine, as I can sure, imagine. Yeah. But yeah, but I, but I, it's been, it's been fun doing the podcast because it's given us sort of a schedule of seeing each other more than yeah. just the let's have lunch or it's the holidays or come by for my birthday or whatever. So that's been really, really fun. Yeah. Awesome. This has been great. Do you have any um, questions for me? No, I'm just kidding. That would be yeah. That would be such a weird way to end this podcast. <laughs> like, okay, now um, that was fine. That was great. Now I have your levels. Um, and so just ask me anything you want. No topic is off the table. <laughs> Can you introduce yourself? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, my name is Kim Alvin. I'm best friends with Christine Lakin. It's pretty cool. And that's pretty much it. I'm going to go over and deal. cut her bangs in about 15 minutes. Perfect. A bottle of Chardonnay. A of Chard. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. No, thank you for having me on. Thank you for letting me blither and blather, which is mostly what I've done today. But I, I hope, you, hope you found it interesting. <laughs> I'm, you know, it'll cut together, I'm sure. Once right. we edit, heavily edit it, it'll probably be fine. Yeah, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> we'll fix it in post. I guess somebody else to record some stuff that I was actually, uh, uh, the other questions I had, so it's perfect. Perfect, perfect, perfect. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. You can find Christine Lakin at Yo Lakin on Instagram. The show is at Kim Moffitt is a fan on Instagram and TikTok. If you're looking for me, I'm at Kim Offit on Instagram and at Kim Offit is here on TikTok. And if you have a couple minutes, 
please make sure you rate and review the show, but only if you like it. If you don't like it, don't worry about it. You know, just do something else, I feel like. But if you do like it and you do have a chance to rate and review the show, it really helps people find it. Thanks so much. See you next week.